Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I don't care who you talk to. No one likes flying. The check-ins, the luggage, rushing around just to wait... It all seems like a hassle, no matter how jazzed you are to get where you're going. But there is joy to be found at the airport, even if you're not exactly feeling it yourself. There's a good chance you've witnessed it in real time, too. Maybe at the next gate over, a brass band suddenly blaring. Adults and children in full uniform, be that any branch of the U.S. military or the Cub Scouts. And crowds of people thunderously applauding, cheering some even crying. These are the sights and sounds of Honor Flight Chicago, and to the thousands who've flown with them over the years, this is the most meaningful flight they've ever taken. I noticed that my dad kept saying, it's too much, this is too much. For me, to hear my dad say this is too much meant like he was just beyond thankful, and I was so thankful because I know he needed this. I know he needed this just to even get a good night's rest and not have a nightmare about what he went through. I'm Jim Hankey, and on this week's episode, we've got a ticket for Honor Flight, a nationwide nonprofit built on honoring America's veterans and hopefully providing the closure that many of them need nearly 50 years after the end of the Vietnam War. Get buckled up and let's get looped in, Chicago. Well, first off, Tom, James. First name, Francis, my middle name, Castello. I arrived as, um, in 1968, June the 28th. I was 18 years old. Jim Costello currently lives in Oak Lawn and served as a combat infantryman with the 101st Airborne Division, also known as the Screaming Eagles, from 1968 to 1970 near Hue City, Vietnam. When he returned, he eventually became a city inspector for Chicago's Consumer Protection Division and he attended a Chicago honor flight last month with one of his daughters, Raquel Pasala. I have one sister and no brothers. I was like his token son, so he made me like the tomboy of our family. You know, we're going to run together. We're going to drink raw eggs in the morning running. And I used to tell my mom, this is like child abuse, that I have to run with him. Aside from all that intensive training, Raquel does remember her dad being patient with her as she found her voice growing up. When I was younger, I was a very shy person. I literally could not order uh, a Happy Meal at McDonald's because I was so just intimidated by having conversations. And my father 
always said, I know you have it in you to be that person, but it's going to be in your time that you get there. And now, Raquel has not only run several marathons, but she has to be assertive as a company senior VP in the finance world. Now, Jim came from a family with a military background. His uncles fought in World War II. They earned Purple Hearts and were CIBs, which is slang for those who have earned their combat infantrymen badges. But he admits that learning about his relative's time in battle had been hard or non-existent. And they never talked about it. And I never knew to ask. I just figured that's something you tell us, you know, and something you're proud of. I was anxious to know, but I never asked. And they never volunteered. And when I grew up and I went into the service and came back, I said, no, I want them to know I am their legacy. They were my legacy and they told me nothing. I found out about one uncle when he died and I got a, my father had a copy. That was his brother. He had a copy of his uh, DD-214. DD Form 214 is a certificate of release or discharge from active duty. And on that form, Jim noticed a similarity between himself and his uncle. They actually served in the same division. And he said, CIB, 101st Airborne. And I was like, damn, why couldn't we talk? Jim is far from alone in that thought. For many who came home from any war, not just Vietnam, the recounting of what they felt, saw, and endured is too much. Thus, those feelings get long buried. And there have been accounts of psychological issues that stem from traumatic experiences in battle as long as there has been battle. The American Civil War is really when the medical community made any formal attempts to treat these issues. In the early 1950s, the American Psychiatric Association began labeling it as gross stress reaction. And it wasn't until 30 years later when post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, was available as an official diagnosis found to be plaguing millions of Vietnam veterans. Plus, for many, their trauma has only been amplified by an unceremonious welcome home in the late 60s and early 70s. Studies have shown that approximately one-third of Americans who served in Vietnam have had PTSD at some point in their life. In a domino effect of trauma for some, PTSD has been shown to lead to a myriad of emotional and psychological problems, including drug addiction and suicide. In a study conducted by the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, 63% of vets diagnosed with an alcohol or substance abuse disorder, also had an official PTSD diagnosis. So as you can imagine, when Jim returned home from war, he says none of the mental assistance one could potentially receive today was available. When I came home after Vietnam, I was 19. I still had six more months to go. I was like a 40-year-old man. That's the way my mentality was. The guys that I grew up with, we were not on the same level. We could not communicate. There was nothing I could tell them. There was nothing they could tell me. I felt alone, isolated. That's why a lot of guys go back. They go back into the service because you don't fit in. That's what war does. It, you don't fit in. You don't feel like you belong to society anymore. And who are you going to tell this stuff to? You can't tell your mother, your brother. They don't want to hear that. All they want to know is... How many did you kill over there? Because that's what war is. It's almost like I didn't even belong to this country anymore. People really didn't treat you respectfully, as you know. I immediately took my uniform off. And then I had to try and fit in, get a job. I almost went back. That's how bad it was. I almost went back in because I figured, this is life. And you're saying, now what do I do? 
In working on this story, I found that Honor Flight exists to ensure that these soldiers don't keep pulling away. Instead, they help them hop a plane to America's capital to see their respective monuments and the names of their friends who didn't make it home. And along with that comes an attempt from Honor Flight to make up for lost time, providing an outpouring of respect and gratitude that was missing post-Vietnam. The Honor Flight movement was born in 2005 in Ohio, and it came about because the World War II memorial was completed in 2004, 60 years after the end of the World War II. And so by that point, the vast majority of our World War II veterans are well into their 80s on fixed incomes. Health makes travel an obstacle. That's Skokie resident Doug Meffley, co-director of Honor Flight Chicago. And with a talented team, he's administering almost every aspect of the organization, including fundraising, external relations, and the programming of the trips themselves. About 18 years ago, on the first technical honor flight, two gentlemen based in Ohio, Jeff Miller and Earl Morse, brought a select group of World War II vets to Washington, D.C. to experience the newly constructed memorial. One of our co-founders, Mary Petnato, took her dad from Chicago to see the World War II memorial and ran into one of those very first honor flights that were there, realized that there was a need for this in Chicago, came back, recruited um, some other women. We're an all-women-founded organization here, which is really cool. And Honor Flight Chicago launched then in, in 2008. Chicago is just one of Honor Flight's 125 hubs around the country. Doug told me that while hubs are in some of the nation's largest cities, certainly, they're really located in areas based on veteran population, meaning that Midwestern states like Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin have enough of a veteran population in urban, suburban, and rural areas to require several hubs. So for Illinois, Lake County, Marion, Springfield, and Peoria all have Honor Flight hubs, too. Are you ready to go? I have to be always ready. What's it been so far? What's yeah. it been like so far? Well, it's like this, another adventure. This is from a video Raquel sent me of her and her dad about to take off out of Midway for their honor flight to D.C. last month. Even if he's not going to war, you can tell Jim's M.O. is like that of the Boy Scouts. Be prepared. Are you surprised by how many are here? Yeah, life is an adventure. This is an adventure because I don't know what's waiting for me. Yeah. Even though I know it's not going to be bad, yeah. but got to be ready for everything and anything. When we come back, we'll hear from Jim and Raquel post-honor flight, and also more from Doug about their mission to serve veterans of more recent conflicts. Stay tuned. Jim and Raquel are now back on Illinois soil from a whirlwind, day-long trip to Washington, D.C., provided by Honor Flight Chicago. But I want to be careful with what we share here on this show about the trip for two reasons. One, the way these veterans are honored, frankly, cannot be encapsulated into a 30-minute podcast. This is an extremely personal and emotional trip for these veterans and their guardians. And in trying to present them to you verbatim, some of that luster could be lost. And two, if you're a veteran or you have a veteran in your life that you feel should experience this trip, it's all the better that we don't walk you through every step of the journey. I obviously can't stop you from typing on her flight into YouTube and seeing anything you want for yourself. But speaking with Doug and Raquel, it was clear that quite a bit of the trip should stay, as much as possible, a surprise for maximum impact. Yes, sir. 
aircraft is equipped with the GTE phone system. Instructions to use the earth seat phone are located in the travel section of the profiles magazine. As you're walking out, you're seeing this enormous line of people and military uh, officers, women and men in uniform that are flanking both aisles. And it took my breath away to the point where I was like kind of speechless and I felt so emotional. And I noticed my dad just kind of taking heavy breaths, you know, trying to catch his breath because I, he was so overwhelmed. Uh, he was not expecting that. I can imagine that none of those veterans were expecting that. And it wasn't a, you know, a clapping, hey, how's it going? It was so sincere. Raquel is telling me here about her and Jim landing in D.C. The vets and their guardians are given a hero's welcome before having a full police escort on charted luxury coach buses to their first stop. And that's a major point that keeps coming up during our conversation about the trip. The constant and repeated acts of respect towards these veterans, wherever they go, and especially upon returning home. It was like the 4th of July in one day. Young children saluting them that were really small, as small as four years old, you know, holding salutes to these guys. And again, you think, okay, nothing else can surprise us anymore. This is probably what it's all about. And that wasn't, you know, even even part, you know, like there was a fraction of what was going to happen for them. Raquel and her dad saw several memorials on their trip to D.C., some of which honored veterans before Jim's time, and some of which honored those in Jim's family who also served. You can catch up with some of their itinerary on our social media at WBBM Podcasts, which we'll be posting throughout the next week. But there is a specific experience that happened on the flight back that I wanted to make sure we covered, and I'll let Raquel set it up. So we get on the plane, and now we're just headed back. And they tell everyone that, hey, you know, in the military, there are two words that everybody, all the guys, love to hear, and that was mail call. Mr. Russell Cabario. Handwritten letters from home. It's something that soldiers during any war would hope for, but for these veterans, some 50 years or so after the fact, and in the age of texting, it's something they'd never expect today. Before the trip, Honor Flight asks the Guardians to spread the word for people to send letters and cards to these vets, thanking them for their service so they can be delivered and opened on the flight home. And so they're passing out these thick envelopes. Well, my dad got chosen really in a short time, and I was nervous about how are we going to get enough letters for him because I only had about two weeks, two and a half weeks to get these letters. So I went and was like a maniac and posted a bunch of things on my LinkedIn page and I put it on my next door, uh, my Instagram. And uh, I thought, you know, powers of be, it's all in everybody's hands. I mean, our family wrote letters and stuff. Our children, you know, sent off letters. So they start to call off all the names and it's random, which is how it is in the military. It's not alphabetic. What's in the bag is what you get. So there was probably a hundred gyms. I was like, there's 119 guys on here. How come all of them are Jim? So I'm videoing and I'm and they're like, Jim Costner, Jim Bell. So I'm looking at my dad every time they say a gym and they pause. Then they say the last name and my dad's kind of nervously laughing. And the last bag is my, my dad's. 
So my dad's opening his and I'm recording him. And he's just thinking in my mind, I thought, I wonder what he thinks is in here. Letters from Raquel, Jim's grandkids and other family members, Raquel's friends, Jim's friends, friends of friends, people who've never met Jim and just follow Raquel on social media. All of them sent letters thanking Jim for his service. I've seen the video of Jim opening them and the plain manila envelope they all came in is very literally overstuffed. One more letter and the honor flight folks might not have been able to close it. Each honor flight always comes equipped with medical personnel and one of them nudged Raquel while Jim was reading over his correspondence. The nurse tapped me and said, um, is your dad an emotional person? And I said, no, he's not an emotional person. And she said, I just feel this childlike happiness from him and I'm sitting all the way over here watching him pass you those notes and the letters I had to take screenshots of them because I want to write them and thank them for sending that to him were so incredible were so beautiful that I was like I don't know how they captured those words and the messages they sent to that to him Raquel, Jim, and the entire Chicago Honor Flight returned to Midway. And like I mentioned at the top of the episode, they received a welcome befitting true heroes. Bagpipes, applause, every inch of their gate decked out in red, white, and blue, and as Raquel told me, line after line of people waiting to thank these veterans in person, one-on-one. Something that Raquel said she noticed on the trip stuck with me, and Doug confirmed this for every Honor Flight. These vets do go through a bit of a time warp. The veterans receive so much energy from us and from each other in a context where they are transported back to when they were 18, 19, 20 years old, that you're right, we hear all the time about how I felt younger, I have more vigor, my, my energy, I'm, I'm standing straighter, I'm standing prouder. We hear those exact words all the time. For a lot of veterans who take an honor flight, it's their first time around this many other veterans since they served. So with this mixture of adrenaline and memories, how could one not get swept up and suddenly feel the age they were when they enlisted, got drafted, or touched down in a foreign country to fight an enemy they'd never met? We got home and he was still elated. He was he didn't want to go to bed. He wanted to tell my mom. And then he's telling my mom, did Raquel tell you this happened? And then she says, she sent a thousand videos. I knew everything you were going through. And so he was like, you did? I didn't even, I didn't even see you doing that. I had sent it to my kids and my sister and my mom. He was like, and then they did this. And he, it was like a kid. It was like a kid that went to a camp that wanted to have everybody experience that. One of my favorite stories happened a couple of years ago. We had a, a guardian who reached back out to us. He flew with his 86-year-old dad. And it's a long day. We get him to the airport at 4 a.m. We get back at, at 8, 30, 9 o'clock that night. But he was driving his dad home after 10 o'clock. And his dad insisted that they go to the bar for a beer. Because this 86-year-old man was not done with his day yet. He just he <laughs> said so much energy from what he'd just gone through. And that's, I think, a story that is illustrative of, of a lot of veterans' experiences with the flight. I asked Raquel after the flight about changes in her dad since their return. And she said not only were there changes in him during the flight, like those glimpses of being young that I just mentioned, but immediately off the plane in Chicago, she witnessed an emotional gesture so small, but for Jim, gigantic. There was a whole row of um, children there in uniform from the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. 
And my dad starts to thank them. And I hear my dad say, I love you to each one of those children. Now, I saw him at the other airports and he was just saying thank you. But he was telling each of them, I love you. I love you so much for being here. And that to me was like, oh my gosh. I don't know what those kids felt. I, I know I felt seeing that. So for me, it was super like, my, my dad, very gracious and very grateful. But to see that to, to me was like, to see young children do that for all of them. It wasn't just for my dad. I, I don't think that they prepared those kids for that. But I also don't think those kids know what they did for those veterans because it meant so much to my dad. Before hanging up with Jim, I made sure to ask him about that moment. Maybe in each of those kids, he saw Raquel struggling to speak at McDonald's or himself years before being called to active duty. Either way, it was important to leave each of them with a message. I saluted them. I wanted to know just because you're a little guy, you don't mean nothing. You do. Kids don't pretend they are genuine. If they're there, you can read right on their faces. They mean it. So <laughs> that's why I said what I said. I love you is what I feel. Raquel told me Jim has made a greater effort than his uncles to share his experiences with his family over time. But a particular story of Jim's valor during wartime has stayed with her and was a big catalyst for her ensuring that her dad could attend an honor flight. And he was talking about a moment where he had to take a radio to someone all against, you know, enemy fire. And he was like, I don't know how I'm even going to, I'm going to die out there. I'm, I won't survive this. I knew it. He, he felt, um, and he ended up getting the radio to the right person and saved countless lives. And he said, you know, he wanted to find who those people were that were, you know, his, his top people. So I went on this crusade years and years ago to find them. Uh, I went through Google. I did all this research and I found one of his mates that, you know, like, I guess it was like a senior sergeant that was prior to him. Um, and he ended up writing a letter, you know, advocating for my dad saying he absolutely saved our lives getting that radio to us because we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been able to communicate without what he did. She shared that letter with me. It was written and signed by Robert Lee Lewis, a machine gunner who said he observed a sergeant, David Potts Jr., under enemy fire in an open field with a wounded Viet Cong soldier. As Lewis states, having Jim deliver David a radio at that exact moment was the, quote, only available rescue, unquote. This is especially key because between Jim and David, only David had a map and could identify to other troops where they were. To quote Lewis's letter, to get Sergeant Potts out of the kill zone, PFC Costello charged into the open field toward Sergeant Potts while under fire, falling once without injury, got up and continued toward Sergeant Potts and delivered the radio. Sergeant Potts successfully called in an airstrike. All three men were able to get to safety. This event occurred around July, 1968. Raquel says Jim never asked for a pat on the back for that rescue. He looked at being alive at all as part of his reward. Regardless of what they endured, even coming back and not getting a thank you, he was just like, you know, when we put our feet on American soil, that was thanks enough, you know, God let us come back. It should be said, not all veterans are comfortable with the prospect of visiting Washington, D.C.'s dedicated memorials with such a large group. But through talking with Doug, I got a better idea of how those who want to participate 
get to. Our wait list is continues to grow. It's over 2,500 names long. Our World War II and Korean War veterans, when they apply, go right to the head of the line because of age. And then we fly our Vietnam veterans based on the date that they applied. So because of COVID uh, and the fact that we couldn't fly for almost two full years, we got really backed up because we were still out in the community. We were still honoring veterans in other ways besides the flights. So we were still visible and veterans were still signing up to fly, which was tremendous. Uh, but it also means that, that our wait for a, a new Vietnam veteran application is somewhere around three to four years still, even after we're back to flying full-time from the pandemic. Time that the term active duty covers for Vietnam veterans is another reason for this sort of bottlenecking. Honor Flight defines the Vietnam era as about 20 years, with the start being in 1955. That's when the Military Assistance Advisory Group, a technical staff and a specific designation of the U.S. military that trains forces and facilitates military aid, became involved. And active duty stretches all the way to April 1975, at the end of the Vietnam War. A remarkable thing I found out speaking with Doug is that all honor flight hubs rely 100% on donations, ranging from large corporate sponsors to more modest means, like partnering with an area restaurant or festivals where individuals can drop some cash into a bucket. Through these donations, each veteran is completely covered, free. But Doug estimates a cost for one flight as $140,000. That is for a packed plane at maximum of 120 veterans, their guardians, medical, and honor flight staff. So for some perspective, at their current schedule of seven flights per year, that's nearly a million bucks just to keep these planes in the air, not counting the hours of organization that Doug and his team need to get these trips done. There will be a time years from now when veterans from battle since the 1990s will become the majority. So back with Doug, I asked him, what's next for Honor Flight? He said the priority in Honor Flight's mission remain the same, to keep going, even beyond the flights themselves. For us, it's eventually we hope that we hope there comes a day when we run out of veterans to, to honor because that that means we've tapered down our, our military. You know, we're not needing to to have wars all the time, that kind of thing. But beyond that, we see it important to continue spreading the, the crux of what we're doing and the thrust of honor and the thanks and the inspiration and the gratitude to make sure that what happened to our Vietnam veterans never happens again. This episode of Looped in Chicago was hosted by me, Jim Hankey, and produced and edited by myself, Lizzie Baumgartner, and Ariel Ravenet, with additional recordings done by Anne-Marie Wessler. Thank you for tuning in this week, and you can stay subscribed to the program on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen. And be sure to follow us on social media at WBBM Podcasts. We'll keep you looped in again right here next week. See you then. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.